Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the HVMN podcast. And I'm your host, Dr. Lat Mansour, a PhD in physiology, anatomy, and genetics, and the research lead of health via modern nutrition. And if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave a review. And if you have any question, leave us a comment. And as always, we appreciate it if you can share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, let's get into this episode of HVMN Podcast. Hi, Debbie. Thank you very much for being on HVMN Podcast. I know um, you've been you've interviewed me twice now, so I finally get the privilege to talk to you on our podcast. Yeah, so excited because I'm obviously a huge fan of you and your research and your product for the company you work with, and I am excited to dive in and share my story and whatever questions you have for me. Yes, yes, I have made a couple of notes. Thanks for <laughs> filling up the questionnaire. And uh, let's start with telling our listeners what your story is about and, and what your background is. Well, it's kind of so hard to make it short. <laughs> like, no, we've so, got one whole hour. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, the whole point is to tell your story and what you've learned from it and, and what you what brings you to what you do you know, today. Yeah, so I love sharing my story because I'm very passionate about getting out in our field, in our community, low carb, keto, fat adapted athletes to share my story because I have been doing this a very long time. And I was just writing out something yesterday. I was like, gosh, it's 2022's record this, almost the 2023. And I started doing metabolic efficiency testing and low carb kind of experimenting you know, back in 2005. So I've been doing this a long time, but my background is a personal trainer. And I, gosh, suddenly I'm 51 years old, young. And I started personal training in college and just been in the industry, but I always wanted to look into nutrition and really put it all together to be healthy. So I started studying nutrition early on with health and did that college and exercise science. But I I found the love for endurance sports when I was in my 20s, and I started doing dance, skin, sprint, triathlon when I was 25, and then I started doing marathons, and I started doing these long-distance cycling events, Seattle to Portland bike ride, and ride around Mount Rainier, and I was, I was, it was comfortable for me. It wasn't difficult. So I found I really loved doing endurance sports. It's kind of my happy place, and so I started training with people for these long distance events and they were doing Ironman Canada every year. And I'm like, oh, might as well just start swimming a little longer. So I did my first Ironman Canada in 2001. And I started um, before that coaching athletes doing sprint triathlons. And I worked with Sally Edwards, who kind of was the beginning of heart rate monitor training and did that early on, I must say 1995. <laughs> it was a long time ago when we started doing all the heart zone training and dance skin. But fast forward, I raced uh, 2003, I competed high level, started racing my age group a little more and started with Mark Allen uh, as my coach. He's kind of uh, famous. If you've followed Ironman, he used to win Ironman for years back in the day. So I was on his team and in 2004, I started qualifying for an Ironman Hawaii each year. And then I would do Ironman and an Ironman, you have to qualify in an Ironman to do Ironman Hawaii. So you end up doing two Ironmans a year. And I was doing marathons off season because I like doing them. I qualify for Boston Marathon, so I do you know two marathons a year. <laughs> and then I started getting over time into 50K trail running because I'm like, ah, oh, what's a few more miles and trail running is easier in your body. So I started doing that. 
But during that time, I was also owning my own fitness studio I opened in 2010. And so fast forward to about 2013, I got what's air quotes, adrenal exhaustion from doing too much of everything. And I try to get out there now and speak and share my story that I wrote in a book. Just it was more of a mind dump therapy session for me because it's very hard transition from going from elite age group athlete doing Ironman Hawaii, top of my age group. I was 11th in my age group the last Ironman Hawaii did to uh, not being able to do anything in 2013 and suddenly gained 30 pounds, even though I was doing the whole low carb fasted workouts. I was drinking bulletproof coffee all morning and I was doing lots of training at low heart rate. I was a fat burning machine. But what I'm trying to get out and tell everyone now, it's like I was doing all the right things we hear about, but I was doing too much. So I talk about the Goldilocks effect, the, you know, not too little, not too much, just find the right balance for your unique body and looking at your external stressors and your hidden internal stressors that may contribute to what we call as a practitioner metabolic chaos. So a lot in between that, I opened my studio, you know, and did that for 10 years. And that was a major part of my stress, uh, you know, doing, running your own studio, training clients, coaching clients. I tried doing, you know, all these kind of biohacking events back then and no one knew what I was talking about. I tried doing keto and these detoxes and uh, sauna and, you know, body fat testing, had t-shirts made, eat fat to burn fat, but I was kind of ahead of the time. <laughs> and then we did metabolic efficiency testing on the treadmill and bike and since I did that since 2005, as I said, so I've been kind of in all this for a long time. So now it's like, okay, I see this industry finally growing and it's great to be a fat adapted endurance athlete. But when we hear about keto and, you know, no carb, zero carb, low carb, and, and then you tie in fasting and fasted exercise. And I think it gets so overwhelming for people and they listen to what mainstream keto world's doing and they start doing it to their own selves and they feel good for a while, but you know, it might not be the right amount for them. And so my story is the holistic method that I coach people on is let's look at more personalizing all this information and creating a program based on nutrition and exercise and sleep hygiene routine and stress management and the right amount and the right dosage of stress and, and then movement throughout the day. Mobility is so essential to health and digestion and gut health, your microbiome. And then the seventh element is hydration, getting the right minerals. And then the eighth element is just as important to all of the others is happiness. You know, so many of us are high performers. We're type A, triple A driven, ambitious that we get so serious, especially when you're hyperadrenic as I was that we're like a little too intense and we forget to smile and have fun and laugh and be silly instead of being so, so kind of anal. <laughs> I, I like, I like the direction of our conversation where our conversation is going right now, because most of the time on our platform and with the guests that I interview or I, I have conversations with, we sort of tell our listeners, we push our listeners to do more, to at least go for a brisk walk you know, just get off your couch, uh, especially if you have a nine to five sedentary job, get out of your, you know, your chair and have a walk, have a stretch and do some form of physical activities. But today we are heading into a slightly different direction where we're asking you to hold on, relax. <laughs> These are for the overachiever, for the super hyperactive people who can't stop running, who can't stop biking, who can't stop lifting. 
to take a break and let your body recover. And I love the fact that you mentioned Goldilocks zone because with us physiologists and metabolic scientists, we always know that enzymes, hormones work best in a Goldilocks zone. It has the optimal temperature, optimal pH to work in in order to get the best effect. So it doesn't make sense why us as human beings, which you know, are, are the made up, the makeup of our body is are these hormones and enzymes. Why don't we think about it in the Goldilocks zone point of view? Um, more is not always better. Less is not always better. Is having the right amount. So I like that uh, approach. So before we go further, I have uh, just a basic question. You know, you are known as the low carb athlete. I mean, your your podcast, your your brand. What made you switch? To low carb, or have you always been a low carb athlete? And because most endurance exercise, most endurance athletes would, you know, definitely want carbs, and they want to, you know, they do their carb load the day before race and all of that. Like, what made that switch, and and why are you uh, promoting it? Yeah, so I wrote that in my book, Life Is Not a Race, it is a Journey, because I I was, gosh, two thousand one, I started racing you know, competitively Ironman's at top age group, you know, I wanted to win top three. <laughs> so it was my goal or fifth place is all right. But I started, um, you know, doing metabolic efficiency testing in 2005 with this new leaf was a company and it got sold to uh, lifetime fitness. So we stopped being able to use it over time. But that's kind of the turning point that started my well, I was already doing kind of heart rate training before that. And I worked with Maffetone, Mark Allen. We did the lower heart rate, 180 minus your age is your max aerobic function heart rate. So I have been doing that for 20 plus years. But then I started being able to do the metabolic testing cart on people when you put the mask on them and measure your oxygen, carbon dioxide. And I, I wish and I would still do that full time if I had access to it. It's such fascinating data. And then you know, looking at that data today is totally different because you realize how stress impacts everything. And when we do not just the timing of what we eat and how we eat and doing, you know, carb timing or going lower carb, that was when I started learning a little bit more about nutrition, but it was more looking at that period of time. It was the exercise. We knew we can become a fat adapted athlete. I could, you know, burn high percentage of fat up to like 167 was my best test. I was just like, peak shape and I would, you know, I was 40 years old, I think at the time when I did that last test and I was able to race and I would do really well because I was burning high percentage fat and I could go fast at that pace. But then learning more about the nutrition part of it, how to be a fat adapted athlete, just not how you train, but how you fuel. When I did a USAT, USA triathlon certification course with Bob Seabor spoke, I think it was 2009, and he was kind of on that area of like, do you really need all those gels and bars? And he, it was a three-day seminar of becoming a certified triathlon coach. And he's the only one that spoke to me like, oh my gosh, it totally makes sense. You know, why are we, like I, when I first started racing, for example, or doing long distance cycling, I would have healthy orange juice and a banana and a bagel. And I, I would think like, oh, I'm fueled up and I'd be fat still. I'm like, why am I doing all this training and I'm not losing any weight? You know, I could go ride four or five hours and still be fat. How's that working? <laughs> and then I'd, you know, start doing Ironmans. I'm like, why am I not losing weight? You know, this isn't, doesn't make sense. So when I started listening to USA Triathlon, that, 
Bob Seymour, who is has a lot of metabolic efficiency certification courses himself now, he was the only one like, that's it. You know, I, I was experimenting with that myself, like the zone diet. I remember one day early on in my career, I just like, I'm not going to eat anything before a bike ride. And that blew up. I like had a nap on the side of the road and had a cliff bar to come back to life, which is like 50 plus grams of carbs. So that's like 2003, 2009, those years I was doing endurance events. I was experimenting on myself with nutrition and, and training and, and racing. But then it wasn't until I got to be more um, really doing the low, like fat bombs and doing coconut butter and Ironman was and you can, I was doing, it was like 2010 to 2012 or my last few years racing until 2013 when I had to stop racing because of my adrenal exhaustion health issues. I haven't been able to race since. So that's kind of, you know, too low of carb, too much fasting is, is what I'm trying to teach people. Yes. Being fat adapted athlete for endurance sports is huge, but not all carbs are evil. You know, we tend to not eat enough. So it's that calorie energy, you know, we're getting low energy availability and all these other areas. So thank you. Thank you for that story. So you mentioned about heart rate training and heart rate monitoring, right? And, and I just recently, you know, discovered the, the benefit like scientifically in terms of study what the lower heart rates, um, uh, cardio, um, brings the, the benefits of lower cardio, uh, lower zone, like zone one and zone two. And that includes like brisk walk and all of that. And because before that, I, I'm very much into weightlifting, strength training and high intensity interval training. So most of the time I'm in like zone four, zone five. So apart from the fact that we know that the lower zone, we are burning more fat and the higher zone, we're burning more glucose. Are there any insights that through your journey, through your training experience, um, make any difference? Like when should one use, utilize a lower heart rate zone and when should one use a higher um, heart rate zone? I did a, a whole video recently on this zone one too, because we've been talking about this for 20 plus years. I'm like, it's nothing new. I think it was Peter Atia started talking about it and Huberman lab. I'm like, this is what we've talked about forever. <laughs> so. It's, it's what Maffetone started 30 years ago, how he coached Mark Allen doing this lone, low heart rate. The Maffetone, um, Phil Maffetone, people can look him up. It's the max aerobic function heart rate, 180 minus your age is kind of what he found years ago to be optimal amount. But it does equal towards that zone one to zone two. So it is training someone is this kind of, are you, am I talking the right area where you want to go here? How do you get yes, to, yes. how do you, oh, how you get to, and also what, what's the benefit as well as to why does one want to focus, you know, making sure that you don't go beyond zone two in certain areas and, and when should one do it? Yeah. So I really like back in the day when I started doing this 20 years ago, it was more that I'm training for you know, a 10 hour race, I need to be burning fuel that's coming from big logs, not kindling. And so always analogy here about being a fat burning athlete versus a car burning athlete is, you know, the slow burning dirt flame logs that you can just fuel every now and then it's just steady energy versus a carb dependent athlete that you have to keep fueling 
So part of that is not just what we eat, but the training as we're talking about, training in that low zone one, two heart rate or figure out your max aerobic function heart rate, 180 minus your age, plus or minus five beats is the max aerobic function math heart rate. And so we wanna do that for base training. And based on Phil Maffetone's research, you're training your body to burn fat and be fat, depend on fat as your main fuel tank and then carbs will be your backup fuel tank. But when you're creating that foundation to be a fat adapted, more metabolically efficient endurance athlete, we want to spend like off season right now. People should just be there all the time at that, say your max relic function heart rate is 140. I'm going to have you train 130 to 140 heart rate for your workouts. And then when you, each month, if you could do a test, like I am have say a three mile loop that you do once a month, you can see, okay, what is my pace at 140 heart rate for that three mile stretch? So warm up a mile, cool down a mile, that mid three miles, I'm just going to base my running pace, even if it might be walking, I'm gonna move at 140 heart rate. So you'll be able to see what your pace is. And then if you can do that monthly test to see, am I improving, I should be getting faster. So say I start doing a 10, 30 minute mile pace at 140 heart rate, Next month, maybe I'm like a 10 minute mile pace. And then three months later, ideally we like an eight minute mile pace. And so you're burning fat and you can go faster as your goal as endurance athlete. And then if you're not getting faster, then you add in speed work then. I would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge our sponsors of this show, Ketone IQ, the best exogenous ketone you can take to elevate your blood ketone levels. I personally take it every day before a podcast to wire my brain up, before and after my workout to really feel my body. So give yourself a chance, take a shot, and you will feel the difference within minutes. So head over to hvmn.com and use the code HVMNPOD20, that is HVMNPOD20, for 20% off your purchase and enjoy your ketone IQ and give your brain the perfect fuel. So Debbie, you mentioned that you were doing heart rate training and monitoring, and I'm just wondering with your experience, what are the differences and what are the benefits actually to maintain a lower heart rate, like zone one, zone two, versus a higher heart rate, zone four and five? Well, this is for endurance athletes. So if you're training for a half marathon, a marathon, triathlon, you know, half Ironman, a full Ironman, 50k trail run, your main energy source needs to be coming from fat. So you want to train your metabolism so you're depending on that fat fuel tank so you don't have that dependency on carbohydrates. So we're not having that glucose intake because we're going on the blood sugar roller coaster, having to eat something every 20 minutes. You have your blood sugar go up, you have blood sugar drop low, you have to eat again. Then you're going to the bathroom every half hour, you're throwing up, you know, it's just a disaster to your gut if you're training being a carb dependent athlete when you're training for endurance events. So we wanna really train how, how we train and how we fuel to be a fat adapted athlete. So we are metabolically efficient and we are able to go so much longer and, and you know, how you train so you can go higher heart rate and burn higher percentage of fat. And so you don't need to eat as much. And then the food that you eat 
is lower carbohydrate, depending if you're doing more of a race pace at your glycogen depleting. So, you know, fine tuning it. But if you're just training for a low heart rate, long training day, it's really important to be able to burn fats, that big fat, slow burning log and your fire to keep that fire burning a long time versus feeding your fire kindling. You have to keep adding fuel, adding kindling sticks to it. So that's always my favorite image is think of, you know, how to keep a fire burning. It's your metabolism. And how long do you normally would want to train in this sort of low um, heart rate zones? So if you go by Phil Maffetone, Maffetone created like 30 years ago, this from his own experiments and research, 180 minus your age, plus or minus five beats. So that's your maximum function heart rate. So his theory that I trained this way forever is that you stay in that low heart rate for all your workouts until you're not getting faster. So you want to create a base. So off season, and a lot of times runners are always in that black hole burning too much glycogen. You know, you get you hear that word, the bonk. If you're in a marathon, you can't go on after so long because you only can burn so much carb fuel source. Say you have 200 or 2000 calories stored of carbohydrates in your muscle and liver glycogen stores. And then you have say 40,000 calories of fat stored in your body. So obviously we want to train to burn fat, but those people that are burning training too high a heart rate can't last so you want to train for as long as you need to to build that it's like becoming a fat adapted individual to be nutritional ketosis you know you have to go through the adaptation phase so ideally once a month you do a test so if it's say a same test you can duplicate every month three mile course for example test say i'm going to run that course at 140 heart rate so i warm up till i get to 140 or if you do it on track it's a little easier and run three miles or maybe a walk or a jog or just keep your heart rate moving until your heart rate stays at that 140 whatever your heart rate test is on that number for that entire time so you'll see how long did it take me that three miles took me 29 minutes and this was my pace per mile and you'll see those improvements as you become fat adapted and stick with this low heart rate training eventually you're not going to get faster and i think it's different for some of us might need, depending on your age and your gender, we might need to add a little bit more speed work earlier than that. But, you know, eventually you'll have to add one day a week, I think is great to do intervals. So you maybe you're doing 400 meter track repeats or maybe do 800s or, you know, run fast for two minutes, easy for men. Then you're doing that speed work because I think you need to train to move quickly and not just get this slog feeling. So Ideally, we're training, say, at 140 heart rate, and you start at that 10-minute mile pace, and you get keep doing that, and then you get to, say, an 8-minute mile pace at 140 heart rate is the optimal goal. That's, that's great advice. So basically, you want to be able to train um, mechanistically to be able to move faster, but at the same time, metabolically, to be able to burn fat for longer so that you can last longer. So you get yeah. both the fueling system down as well as the mechanistic system down. Yeah, so if you can get tested, if someone, a metabolic testing cart, there's a company called Panoe, P-N-O-E, that I was just gonna buy one, but you can get, find someone locally or you can actually rent, a, it's like a backpack with a face mask. So you can go on a track and, and test yourself running, where am I burning fat? And measure that metabolic crossover point where your fat, you know, is burning, 
high rate and then there's a point where that drops down the carbohydrates go up and we want to know you know what heart rate what pace is that happening because that then we could test say once a month you can get that test done and know okay here's the numbers I need to stay at where I'm burning the highest percentage of fat and that's important for endurance so we can go longer and not have all that GI stress and stress oxidative stress in our body so you know testing and not guessing is what we say in, as a health practitioner, but also for athletes, you know, testing your glucose, your heart rate variability, testing your fat, metabolic efficiency on a treadmill or running or biking, whatever sport. Right. And, and it makes sense from a metabolism point of view as well, because as you are high heart rate, you are, you, sorry, as you are going from a lower heart rate, you're burning higher, you know, amount of fat. And then as your heart rate increases, the fat burning system will slowly slow down as uh, glucose takes over. And the reason being glucose is really good at providing us with fast energy. So yeah. fat, it takes longer to be broken down and to be oxidized in order to provide ATP. So as a result, when you are going on a high intensity exercise or high heart rate exercise, you are forcing your body, you are telling your body, I need fast energy and therefore I am gonna use all these glucose first before using any other substrates because that's the most efficient. So our body is very good at prioritizing the most efficient fuel for the goal and for the cause that you are, you are, you are doing. So um, that's, that's great to hear that from a practical point of view. It's very much aligned from um, a point of view of a theoretical point of view in terms of metabolism as metabolism, well. Metabolism, yeah. But I also say that's why we we talk a lot in endurance world training for events and races that you're train low, race high. So if you are planning on race day being more anaerobic and closer to the anaerobic threshold where you are burning higher percentage of carbohydrates, then there's a what we talk about strategic carb timing and adding in carbs when appropriate versus doing you know, more of a fatty coffee before your workout and not having a lot of carbs. And so training low and then race day, kind of work towards that and adding in strategic real food sources of carbohydrates and then you add them in race day. So that's what, you know, we talk a lot about with my clients and audience is that thing. And then that part of it, and then 80% of the time you're doing the low heart rate, 20% you start adding in more hit type of training or speed work intervals per whatever sport you are doing. Great. So, so I know you mentioned um, that you do, you know, when you coach people, as well as when you do it yourself, you do lab tests and you do biomarkers and as well as genetics. So could you share with us what sort of tests and what sort of biomarkers are you looking for um, in order to optimize your results? Yeah, so the, the one, as I discussed, metabolic efficiency testing. So if you can find a sports med clinic to hook you up to a mask and measure oxygen consumption and carbon dioxide and get that ratio of your fat to carb fuel source, that, of course, is great for athletes. Also, you know, testing your glucose and your fat. So doing like Nutrisense or a CGM from your doctor. I always like to look at that data. Also, uh, you know, I think that's important to look at heart rate variability to really know if your body has stress as of, of my history of being more sensitive, I think, to stress and other people that I had to probably, you know, started testing HRV when I first had that. I did a lot of beta testing for companies to go, okay, you know, this is something you could have caught early on. So when you get so-called adrenal exhaustion, there is probably five years before that, that I had a lot of 
big red flags that I didn't know about. So for athletes, I want to test their HRV, your biometrics, your sleep scores. You know, I do Aura Ring, some people like Whoop, and just collecting data. And I use Practice Better with clients and Training Peak. So you, luckily, everybody's adding in these APIs so you can integrate all this data to your device or to your platform as Training Peaks. I write their schedule up, for example, and there's new TriDot that they're taking all this information and having the AI figure out how to, you know, create programs based on all this info. So nowadays it's pretty fascinating how you can really personalize a program and then also know when to course correct, adjust, because I think a lot of times we follow a schedule that say, you know, I write you out a schedule for the season, but I never talk to you. Well, if you don't make adjustments, if you feel like crap one day and then you just push through a workout that's going to be causing more harm and more stress in your body than ca causing positive benefits so you know all the data that we have nowadays is so fascinating to me to be higher athlete you look at Ironman Hawaii this year there's some of the, the top athletes were wearing CGMs and so I still want to get insight of people that knew what they were doing and how the these amazing world record times are being made because they're getting all this data and knowing how to optimize their fat metabolism and when they need to eat carbs during the race and really time it watching their glucose so it doesn't drop too low so they are burning fat but having that strategic carb timing when appropriate for them because they can watch it now it's pretty cool yeah and you can watch it live as well i think that makes a lot of difference with you know and you don't have to stop and prick your finger like we used to yeah. when the technology came out so you mentioned about the adrenal exhaustion in 2013 that you've gone through um i want to dig a little bit deeper on on your experience i want you to tell our listeners what you actually went through you know walk us through the process of recovery as well and and how you overcame that so um floor yours well, I'll say if, I mean, we've, if you're watching the video, we've, I've had three backgrounds since we were recording today, but you'll notice that I, I used to live in Seattle in Bellevue, Washington. And when, um, our world changed in 2020, I was able to work online and moved. And it took me, I think 10 years to realize the way I was living my life, it was such a fast paced, packed, you know, all over the place. I was burning the candle at both ends for so many years. So when I had, you know, really it's called HPA access dysfunction, your hypothalamus pituitary to adrenal access is just that electrical system is being overstimulated. So that's why I was talking about chronic stress impacts the whole you. And I found that myself, I was training for all these races off season doing marathons for fun. And, you know, I loved what I was doing. I felt great, but I was also running my own fitness studio that I had a huge rent in downtown Bellevue, Washington's Microsoft. And it's, you know, like it got up to 7,000 plus dollars a month that I was had to pay rent. So I opened a studio in 2010 and luckily closed that 2019 October, but that was a huge stress for me. It was just teaching clients, coaching, leading classes, you know, doing all that. But then when you're running your own business, you also have to do all the other stuff too, like the finances and marketing and blah, blah, blah. So that was a big stress for me. And being a little type A driven, ambitious person myself, you are trying to do everything right and you get stressed out if it's not correct. <laughs> and so I found that, you know, racing and training 20 hours a week, probably average and working full time, that's just, and you know, fill in the blank if you're a single mother or a single parent or you're, 
you know, struggling financially, you're out of a job or you're working three jobs and you have kids. I mean, whatever it might be is just that going back to that Goldilocks effects, too much of anything can overload your beaker of stress and your, your body think, I was thinking, imagine a beaker on top of her head or hypothalamus has all these stressors coming into her bucket, but they're also not just external, but they're also internal. So if we have this constant living life as a race, constant stress, I'm also leading my digestive system probably gets weakened. My immune system gets weakened. You have leaky gut. So then I get suddenly parasites and H. pylori and all this dysbiosis. So then you're going to have inflammation. It's just a whole domino effect. And you don't know if it's like, it's never one thing. It's multiple things. So it's not just my fitness studio and my financial stress and training for races. It's just all of it combined. And that's what happened to me. So my my book I wrote tried to explain all this because it was frustrating to me. It's kind of what I'm doing now for my job is that I went to see about eight different practitioners, doctors, functional medicine, naturopaths, all these people to get answers. And most when you get to naturopath functional meds, you get all the great labs, the functional lab tests, and then you get results and they give you supplements and write down stuff to do on a piece of paper and say, here you go. Well, I would like, okay, that didn't help me. Then I went to see somebody else and do the same thing. So I was just like, I was searching for this magic solution, this magic pill to fix me because I wanted to race again. And my body used to be, you know, I always thought I was fatter than I was, but now I should appreciate that I was lean and fit and strong. And you're never grateful for what you have when you have have it till you lose it all. You're like, crap, why didn't I appreciate that? So I... I gained 30 pounds. I couldn't do anything. I was fatigued. I was having naps in the day. I couldn't sleep at night. You know, all the things that happen when you have chronic stress illness and just a mess. So to heal that, it, I found just the past few years that it, you have to change the way you show up to life. You can't keep doing the same thing. Like I say, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I had to change the way I was living my life. And when I closed my fitness studio, I thought I closed that door, I was gonna be better. But then I was training clients and running with people, and then I was going all over the place, and I was still leading a busy schedule and being a personal trainer and coach and being a health practitioner. It just was crazy. So until I moved here to San Diego, I'm outside, I'm in the fresh air. I get to walk on the beach with my bare feet in the morning in the ocean and you know, be in nature more. and now I feel like I'm finally healing and finding happiness, but not everyone can just uproot their whole lives. It's just my husband and I, and we could do that. But I think it's just look at if you're not, if you're struggling and you're not able to lose weight, you're just not feeling your best. You're just not happy with where you are in life. I think you have to sometimes stop and dig deep and go, okay, what's your why? What can I control? What can I change? And take ownership of that because there's no supplements. And I say this all the time. You can't out-supplement poor lifestyle habits. If I'm still pushing my day from 4.30 in the morning till 8.30 at night, I'm never going to get better. So you can't just take the supplements that your doctor tells you or a naturopath and think you're going to get better. And that's what I do and created the Holistic Method Coaching Program to help people in all these lifestyle habits and you know, have accountability, have someone to check in with because... All levels of doctors, they just like, hey, see you in four months, six months, you know, and let's retest you. You're not going to get results if you're not doing the part, and it's hard to do it on your own. Yeah, and 
I like that saying, you can't out-supplement a poor lifestyle. I mean, that's, that's wisdom right there. And you and I, you know, we are all on this journey on our, on our own, but also we're trying to be on platforms like podcasts and all of that to really not teaching people what they don't already know. Yeah. Um, we're teaching, we're just simply reminding people that sometimes we need to stop, look inwards, and see what actually makes us happy and what actually makes us unhappy and retrospectively, you know, weed those negative things out and, and bring in whatever that's positive to come in. And then only that. And it's great, inspiring story because while, you know, technology, medical advancement, um, supplementations have really improved our health and improved our... Um, quality of life but your story basically is telling that ultimately you need to make sure you have a strong foundation yeah. and strong fundamental core values first fixed before you take on anything else because otherwise you are simply fixing your symptoms and not addressing the root cause and because of that you will never be able to ultimately you know uh, once and for all fix the problem so well said very good lat <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you I, have I to... mean it's, it's your story so so credit <laughs> to you credit is where it's due i'm just basically paraphrasing Summing what you told me yeah. yeah no i think you have to take ownership from it and you know i was just still if you're pushing yourself through the day you have to learn how to push pause when to take breaks you know restructure your day so i'm not booked back to back and leave little spaces in between and not like, I don't do stuff weeknights. I'm not very good. Like, I, I get up early. I wake up 4.30 naturally without alarm. I'm, I'm waking up that hour. So I, I'm tired, like, at 8 o'clock at night. So I, you're not going to be seeing me going out to dinner late at night on a weeknight. Sleep is a priority to me, and you don't mess with that. <laughs> so I think it's really finding your priorities. Go, okay, you know, I'll pick social events for the weekend and really – create that sleep hygiene routine that I stick with because if I don't go get my sleep, my workout's not going to be great. I'm not going to have energy for my calls with clients or whatever work I've got the next day. I mean, you have to pick where you want to start, like you said, building those foundations. And of course, we all talk about what we eat, but I would say, you know, when, how you eat, because I know a lot of people that switch to low carb, ketogenic, nutrient dense, animal based whole foods diet but their eating habits are horrible. <laughs> so it's like if you're eating in that sympathetic nervous system, you're inhaling your food, eating super fast so you can get back to work, good luck with that. You're not going to get the desired results if you don't change how you eat. And, you know, we all talk about when we eat and fasting and time-restricted eating. But, you know, it's it all goes together. That's why you have to work on the whole person, the whole athlete, to really get the results because it just – if I just exercise every day, it doesn't work. You know, that's why I started down this path, coaching people, not just exercise, but nutrition. Like I still can't help people because if they're stressed out all the time, their glucose is still going to go up. And if they don't sleep at night, then they're not going to recover and repair. And then if they're working out in the morning, then sitting on their butt all day, well, there's more problems. <laughs> so, you know, it's just all of those holistic method type of elements are so essential to really being a fit and healthy athlete and happy. You know, finding what you're doing now, what I keep saying every day is training your future self. How do you want to be showing up to life each day when you're 80, 90 years old as I watch my parents age and my dad just passed away that it's just like 
uh, and I watch all their friends, everyone's, you know, got this complaint that I'm like, okay, hey, that's, that doesn't have to happen. <laughs> you know, yeah. we know better now. And, you know, that generation doesn't know what they could do usually. And so I just feel like what we should do now is so essential to our future self. Absolutely. Whatever investment that we make right now to our body is essentially the dividends that will pay off later on. Mm -hmm. um, and let's take a sneak peek into your holistic um, coaching uh, methods, right? So if someone is to come up to you right now and say, hey, I want to, Debbie, I want to, you know, race in the marathon and the Boston Marathon, and I want to, you know, end up in the top of my age bracket. But at the same time, how do I avoid chronic fatigue or burnout? And what, what advice would you give them? Well, it's always, I, I do an intake form first with lots of questions. So I use mm -hmm. this NutriQ, it's by Nutritional Therapy Association, has this NutriQ assessment. So that gives me a lot of clues. I do a whole intake form of symptoms, and that correlates with, you know, if it's thyroid or adrenal or digestion, liver, blah, blah, blah. And then I do a food log. Let's look at your, how, what you eat, when, how, what are your symptoms going, uh, how did that food make you feel? So I collect all these data. So at first you're just kind of observing as a coach, what are you eating, when, and then let's look at your workout schedule. So I just kind of uh, check out everything first and then figure out priorities because you can't do everything at once. And whenever I used to do that with people like, okay, here's 10 things. I'm like, okay, none of it happens. So you have to really prioritize what is the first like three things we want to focus on this month even and just let's work on landing creating this foundation now if it's nutrition or okay maybe you're eating right but you are not prioritizing your sleep at all you're burning the candle about that so it gets really individualized i also like to look at genetics and put that into people's uh, investigation and if they do lab testing package with me i like to do like the dutch hormone panel is a really important one a gi test like gi map or genova diagnostics and then collect more data from just a comprehensive blood chemistry test because that gives so many clues to other areas that's why you want to do other labs like the gi and a urine test to get the whole picture and then looking at their workouts most people need to train by heart rate for a while and learn what is that zone one, two, maffetones, max aerobic function heart rate and build that foundation. Because a lot of runners, especially runners, run probably, like I was saying earlier, one, say they're 150, 160 heart rate. They don't know how to, they have to run slow to get fast, basically, and train that fat metabolism. So that's usually an area to start with. And then not running every day. A lot of people come to me and they're running every day and rather than add strength training in three days a week and add in the run and have a purpose to each run. So we're, you know, by heart rate. And then maybe we finish that run with some sprints, like five times 30 seconds sprint. So we create that quickness and then work on eventually matching their nutrition, their fueling with their training program. So if we add some 12 to 15 hour overnight fasting, and then when their window of eating is, and then where to add in those meals when you're exercising, because I'm really dialing into the research, and actually I'm talking to Dr. Mindy today about fasting, but for women and female athletes on their, with hormones, cycling hormones on the menstruation cycle, it's fascinating, really dig into that, how to really personalize a coaching program for a female athlete, because we didn't know any of that back then. And now it's like, okay, I can be more carnivore these days and, and like Dr. Annika Becca looking at her menu plans and when to push you new know, more carnivore, more carb reset, carb refeed week, and then 
look at one to be more keto. And so it's really fascinating to really work one-on-one with people to figure all that out. So they're training and fueling, but a lot of times that person needs to work on the sleep and the stress. And I want you to get up and move every hour, you know, mobility drills. But the lab testing, I think, is essential to really optimize the health of a, an athlete and everyone, but putting all that together. And so I'm also being a health investigator as well as, you know, optimizing their performance as an endurance athlete. So really wow. personalizing a whole whole package. So it's a lot of information. <laughs> yeah, you, you were not kidding when you said it's a holistic approach. It's, it really is. And you're basically putting all your overachiever sort of personality into <laughs> your client now. I can see you, you're, you know, you're making them uh, your investment essentially you know finding yes. out and investigating all of this so in terms of the genetic test that you mentioned the dutch uh what was it the, uh, well the dutch test isn't genetic genetics is like the dna company or dna fit there's a bunch right. of different ones now i'm also wanting to do this coaching program with wild health that they do more yes, personalized I, spoke to wild, wild oh yeah so I, was, yeah. I just was going to sign up today for their precision me- medicine program i find it's fascinating and really tying in the genetic part with it. But the functional lab testing, uh, Dutch test is, you can listen to Dr. Carrie Jones. She's fascinating to listen to on hormones and she just makes everything funny. But that Dutch test shows, you know, cortisol levels, circadian rhythm through the day. So that's really important for people that are chronically over addicted to busyness, chronic stress, because you can see if your adrenals, uh, cortisol's up high at night when it's supposed to be low and so you can kind of match their energy levels through the day and look at their circadian rhythm if they're not sleeping or if they wake up and they're tired you know you can it's fun to see that but also their metabolites are going to show some neurotransmitter production and then we can look at their estrogens and the testosterone the androgens because i i just you know had clients that have really high testosterone and they're female and then we have to look at okay why are they high is it's pcos and then you go down all these rabbit holes trying to figure out why is something higher than normal what's lower and then correlates to their blood and their stool tests so and the microbiome you know is huge too and, and really looking always starting i think with that and suggest if you can't afford all the labs just at least get what you can from your doctor covered by insurance and the blood chemistry and then get a GI test to find out what's going on in your microbiome because that impacts everything in, right. in our health. I'm finding more and more. Yeah. So basically those are the red flags of, of yeah, you know, if you're doing too much, right, you get, yeah. you get increased in stress hormone, you get fatigue, um, you get, you know, poor sleep quality. Um, obviously you will, it will affect your productivity as well. So essentially, you know, when, when people go through those, when your clients go through those symptoms, um, that's what you're going to investigate. You're going to test, um, to find out and ultimately data, data won't lie. Um, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Yeah. Data driven and, you know, also listen to how you feel like, you know, you can get all the data, but then you also want to listen to your client and, you know, find their triggers and what stressors, like someone that just lost their mother or, someone that just has an autistic child and it's constant stress, you know, there's their lifestyle, their relationship with their spouse, or there's so much more to it. So it's looking at different levels that a lot of people are racing for a reason. Like, why are people, what are you running to? What are you running from? So you also have to add in the therapist part of the job as being a health coach and fitness coach and also, you know, getting to know what drives them, but when they need to slow down and if they can't, why? 
But yeah, the brain fog, depression, anxiety, all that. And that's why I like HVMN I, Ketone IQ, not to give a plug because we're on the show, but <laughs> to me, it's so essential because I'm training my future self and I get concerned about my brain health for my future self based on my stress I've had and damage I've done to my body. That's like, gosh, you know, I'm 51 now. I'm really concerned of dementia and memory loss, brain fog, and you know, all that. So I do whatever I can do to take ownership of that now. And, you know, adding in the ketones before I work in the morning, before I have big meetings, or I have to go deep on thinking of like, I have to write out this program, a new course and, you know, cycling, we're talking about that, or even I was driving home from Palm Desert, which is a windy road and it was nighttime. And I thought, okay, you know, I just want the best brain health I can have and clarity and focus. And that's why I think, you know, taking ownership of our health and self-care is self-love that you have to, you know, invest in it and do what you can do. So and, thank and, you. And you said something <laughs> that was so true as well, because we were, you know, everywhere in the world, you know, we always were, were trained at school. We were trained by our parents to really be ambitious, to really go out there, go be a go-getter and, and really you know treat life like a race you know you got to beat your your peers beat your classmates and be the top of your class and nobody tells you enough to actually sometimes you need to take a rest so that you can go further because sometimes life you know not, i mean sometimes we have to realize life it's a marathon and not a sprint and mm -hmm. if you sprint too early too fast then you won't have enough fuel as we were talking about fueling um to burn for the rest of the race yeah, that's so good. Yes, I, you know, I think we just push ourselves too much and we get competitive in all areas of life and we don't know when it's like, all right, I actually will do perform better if I take a break. And that goes to my other passionate areas, the aging athlete, because I am just, you know, now it's second half of my life. I want to make my second half of my life better than the first half and really how to thrive and, you know, show up to be my best self every day. So I'm not going to blame the aging process that I'm going to, I'm not going to train the same way as I did when I was 30 or 40. I need to make adjustments. So those people that bl I always hate it and hate's a hard, strong word, but I hate it <laughs> when yeah. people say, oh, I'm getting older. I can't do that. Drives me nuts. It's change how you train and how you feel and how you show up to life every day, how to take care of yourself is going to be different as we get older. So don't blame the aging process, embrace it and stop making excuses. It's just lame. <laughs> that's, that's great advice. And, and speaking of aging athletes and, and different way of training, did you, have you come across, you know, through your experience, different age brackets that need to train differently? And if oh, yeah. so, is that, you know, every decade or every five years? You know, how, how would you categorize them? Yeah, I've been researching this a lot lately. If you listen for athletes, Dr. Stacy Sims does a lot of research for female athletes. And then there's um, Dr. Gabrielle Leon, Lyon. I was called Leon because that sounds French to me. But Lyon <laughs> on protein and muscle is the organ of longevity. She's really enlightened me a lot. Both of them have. And the females, we need to train a little differently as we age. Men. You know, I think less chronic cardio for everybody and more strength training. And you look at men and women, how we age. Like I said, I go to Palm Desert, look at my parents. Everyone's around, you know, late 70s, early 80s. And what happens as you get older, it's so controllable. You, you lose balance. You fall. You trip. You can't get up. You have no muscle strength. Well, 
what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Lift weights, yeah. do balance work. I mean, that's why I say train yourself now for your future self, because it's ridiculous. All this stuff as we get older and again, blaming the age that that's your own choice. That's your fault to me. That's like you sat all day. Of course, you're not going to have any muscle strength. So getting up, moving, you know, finding a, a trainer or coach that can help figure out what to do, but really prioritize strength training, lifting heavy weights, as Stacey Sims says, for women, pre and postmenopausal, three to six repetitions. Get rid of the mindset, I'm going to get big and bulky and do 12, 15, 20 reps of stuff. Maybe if you're just starting, but I'm, you know, go to the gym. I'm going tonight. I'm doing legs and core and I'm going to do, well, I do, you know, legs. I don't do heavy weights because I'm more mobility on legs, but just lifting, getting stronger and prioritizing that over, oh, I'm going to do 30 minutes on the elliptical. I'd rather do 30 minutes doing strength training and mobility drills. Yeah. So that was what I, I spoke about yesterday with Cynthia Thurlow. Um, I oh. had her on the show. I would talk about sarcopenia, which is mm -hmm. muscle loss due to aging. And she was talking about you know, the appropriate intake of protein together with appropriate level of strength training. And yes. resistance training is the only way so far identified as the best intervention against sarcopenia. Because even when 80-year-old, 90-year-old uh, elder, elderly, when they were going through sarcopenia, when they have massive atrophy of muscle, skeletal muscle, and the studies put them through resistance training and rehab, at that age, they were actually managing to increase muscle mass significantly mm -hmm. so that shows how powerful um, our bodies are at, at adapting to stimulus and that's that goes to you know what you said about not using your age as an excuse because if a 90 80 year old can put on muscle mass with the right amount of training yeah. what you don't have is not the strength but the knowledge and the coaching and the information that you need to do it properly Yes. And Rhonda Patrick, I've been following her and getting her insider emails on research and she's got a ton of research on the strength training and protein, you know, getting your protein in throughout the day for elderly. I was just listening to her um, review of some articles this morning and just the importance of elderly adults lifting weights and getting the protein intake throughout the day and not worrying about for athletes timing it right afterwards. You know, Stacey Sims talks about women need to eat their protein carb 30 minutes after workout men and can eat three hours. But then Rhonda Patrick just is saying reason just get it in any time of the day and spread out that protein intake, but getting the protein and talking about the leucine content in the protein is a big area to research. And then the lifting, the strength training, and that doesn't have to be a gym. Like I know when we first moved here, I was lifting bricks and going up the stairs and lifting sandbags. And that was a heavy workout. So lifting heavy things, you can get a good workout in. So if you can't go to a gym, there's stuff you can do at home in your own backyard you can find for exercise. Even body body, body, um, body weight and calisthenics, oh, yeah. I mean, people have got... Doing a push-up? How many people yeah. can do a proper push-up? Not many. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's exactly. good. So, you know, we we're talking about athletes. We're talking about aging what about people who just want to lose weight and they feel like they are doing all the right things, but they're not, they're just not losing weight. What would yeah. you say to them? Yeah. Well, that's what I look at. You know, what are you doing now? So I do kind of a, a new client assessment. Let's just look at what you're doing and figure out what are, what are your areas of opportunity? What could you do more of or adjust or course correct? And 
I think less is more with the, the workouts. You know, a lot of people think they need to go spend so much time in the gym, so then they might not go or they don't go work out hard enough. So wearing a heart rate monitor to know how to go slow enough and then how to go hard enough. So doing say 30, 45 minutes max of cardio, but that doesn't change your body. I was think of back when I was at my old gym where I worked and worked out, you look at people's body composition that are sitting on the cardio machines for an hour and then look around the people lifting weights and doing more, you know, full body workouts, their body composition changes. So, you know, if you're not getting results, move over from the cardio side of the machine room to the free weights and the machines and and get a workout that's more, you know, a squat and a bicep curl or a lunge and overhead press and integrating that whole body together, you'll get your heart rate up, you'll get more lean body mass increased, you'll get more bang for your buck, and you'll get way more results in a 20-30 minute workout doing that than doing 20-30 minutes on the cardio machine. Plus post-workout, you're going to get that higher metabolism. And and then you think too, carbs, if people want to eat more carbs, well, as Dr. Gabrielle talks about is that your muscles are your suitcases. So if you want to be able to store more glycogen, you got to increase your suitcase size <laughs> and get some more muscle. So you have a higher carb tolerance of real food carbs. If yeah, but, but at the same time, I do have to, to add though that cardiovascular um, exercise is also important as we age to, for that cardiovascular fitness. Mm-hmm. Because um, what I find for myself is that I, even if I do lift heavy, I, for my body type, I still have to add in that cardio aspect of yeah. things because otherwise my fat body fat percentage does go up. Yes. And if I, you know, I, I will always, you know, have that weightlifting aspect of things and, and I'll keep that, but I'll always add the cardio towards the end, either a high intensity interval training exactly. or a, a, a low, low zone, like long, um, steady state cardio. Yeah. So that's great. I was just saying minimal effective dose. If you have, if you don't, if you're not getting results, is start with that. Like, look mm-hmm. at what are you choosing your workout. I know a daily throughout the day we want movement, and I've coached for Ben Greenfield, and we have people, you know, move throughout the day, get your steps in, or you know, if you don't count your steps, just get up every hour and do something. Your movement throughout the day is more important than anything. And you know, some people, that's why I look at genetics. If you are more higher percentage of endurance versus strength versus power. You can really adjust your workout schedule and how you train based on those genetic markers, like how your body's going to respond. So then you can individualize, all right, how's that workout going to look today? And then alternating. So I'm doing a strength, say Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll do a strength workout, maybe do some 20, 30 second sprints at the finish. Then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday will be just zone one, two cardio. And I want to do some yoga, maybe five minutes stretching before bed, like yin yoga. And then maybe Sunday you're doing a longer hike or something more endurance-based, an hour, hour and a half. You're going for a nice long walk with a friend or going a bike ride or something more endurance-based. But I think it's, you know, the ideal week, yeah, looking at getting up and moving first thing at sunrise is getting that exposure to the sunlight, as you probably talked about, is it's so essential to how you start your day, but then figure out, you know, when you're going to do it and make sure it's fun and you feel better afterwards. Even if you don't like it, you'll feel good. <laughs> I, I like the personalized approach to your coaching program as well, mm-hmm. because we are all so individualistic as far as the genetic makeup goes, as far as metabolism goes, as far as age, lifestyle yeah. and all of that. So it makes sense 
for a coach to actually approach the coaching system in a more personalized um, approach, in a more personalized manner, because that's what people need, and that's why there is no cookies cutters, you know, sort of one size fits all, where you follow a certain diet, it works for uh, one person, and you think that it will work exactly the same to you, but it doesn't. So, as we are drawing to a close here, Debbie, um, what takeaway messages, if you are to you know, give our listeners, either they are endurance athletes, aging athletes, or just normal, you know, ordinary people trying to live a healthy life and trying to lose weight uh, to go more into the healthy weight range, what, would you, what advice would you give them? Well, I think just what we were finishing talking about is, you know, getting outside, getting movement throughout the day outside in nature, I think is essential. I think prioritizing protein, I think we've gotten so, you know, the pendulum swings to high carb, low carb to, you know, all everyone's focused on keto, eating all fat that they forgot protein. And I'm really focused on, you know, getting that protein in because I, for years, wasn't really paying attention to it. I was focused on fat. So really remembering that protein is important for that muscle and then lifting strength training if you know whatever those reps are for you but lifting weights is really important to health to longevity i think thank you so much for your insights and for sharing your story um you know to remind people that hey sometimes we need to take a pause relax and take a time take, take some time for ourselves uh instead of just pushing ourselves for greatness and uh, Sometimes we can push ourselves even further if we actually take that break. So yes. thank you so much for being on HVMN Podcast. Thanks for having me. It was great. And I hope, you know, we can, people can take something away that they can implement in their life. Just pick one thing to work on. Don't try to do 10 new things at once, but just pick one thing that resonated with you that you can add into your day tonight or tomorrow and start just focusing on how you want to show up to life when you're 89 years old such an amazing advice and and apologies regarding the technical issues uh, <laughs> for, for those of you who are watching the video we have a change of scenery um on debbie's side yeah. due to due to um technical issues but i'm glad we managed to get this episode done and and you know can't wait to air it out um i believe it sh it should be in january great of January. perfect time all right thank you so much thank you if you have enjoyed this episode please like share and subscribe and we welcome any comments or feedback in either the comment section or you can fill up the google form provided in description you can find us at hvmn or at latmanso for myself on all social media platforms both hvmn podcast and myself are powered by ketone iq the most efficient way to elevate your blood ketone levels for optimal cognitive and physical performance, as well as metabolic health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.